Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We're people who also take the Word of God very seriously. This is the highest authority in our lives. So I'm going to ask you, just stand to your feet. We're going to read scripture this morning. It's a privilege to preach and uh, be with you here at Tableview. If you don't know who I am, I'm Gabe Phillips. I'm the resident redhead here. Every church has to have one of them. And uh, I'm just joking. It's just a joke. They don't have to, but we feel it's quite a strong thing to have one. But let's read scripture. We're going to read from Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. We're going to read it, six verses. I'm going to pray, then I'm going to preach. It won't be too long this morning because we know a lot of you are already in holiday mood. So let's read scripture. From the New Living Translation, if you're wondering, it says this. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a deformed or withered or a shriveled hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand, or stretch out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this amazing community called Life Changes that we get to be a part of. And I pray this morning as as we lean into you, we realize that you are for us and not against us. That you are wanting to encourage us and spur us on this morning. And most of all, God, I thank you that you are with us. Jesus, you are here. That's what makes this morning different from any other. You are with us. And we love you, Jesus. In that name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? It's good to be together. It was the year 2004. 13 years ago, I was a young whippersnapper, 17, and uh, what, this was the, the year that I was invited to my first and one of, one of two metric dances that I was invited to. But I was invited to a metric dance. I know some of you are shocked as, as, as ever. You? Really? Yes, there was one girl who was scraping the proverbial barrel, and she picked up the phone, and she, this was the year of Mix It, and she said, remember Mix It? Anyone remember Mix It? Will you come to my metric dance? Spelled really badly. But I, I knew enough with the reading of, between the emoticons and the lols that this was good news. And I was invited to this metric dance, and I was a little bit excited, but then very quickly I moved back in fear and trepidation because you know what has happened? If you're aware of what metric dances are in South Africa, they, I think the problem with South Africans and this girl in general, they've driven, drink, drunk too deeply from the Disney Kool-Aid. If you know what I mean? They've been sold a diet of proms and prom dresses and high school musical and this will be the night of our lives. And from the moment girls in South Africa come out of the womb, it almost seems, they cannot wait for the metric dance. You just have to see the budgets. You just have to see the planning, the excitement, the glistening in their eyes, the, the giggles behind the scenes. Matric dances are a big deal, way too big a deal for girls in South Africa. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so I started to get really nervous because I realized that she was a, had expectations here. And just look at me. <laughs> expectations. And I'm not a strong dancer at the best of times, 
But I thought, you know what, this is going to be exciting. And then I knew that this was going to be a big moment for her when she sent a follow-up text message or uh, mix it in those days. Uh, she said to, said to me, my mom would like to take you to Verulam, which is a community 40 minutes out of Durban, um, during the week, for you, so you can go have a suit fitted. I was like, okay, this is, this is a big thing. I took a gulp and I realized, okay. So the mom came and she picked me up and it was that 40 minutes of awkward conversation all the way to Verulam. I got there, I leapt out, and a, a tailor went to work measuring me up for the suit, you know, measuring me up and, and checking the, the, the waist length and poking and prodding and, and moving me around, and lifting up my arms, putting them down. And it was, it was incredible. It was like I was being suited for Iron Man. It was just amazing. And after this, this, this engagement with the tailor, we went all the way home. I got another message saying, actually, the tailor needs you to come back. Not only a second time, but a third time. We made a trip out to Verulam with just me and her mom three times. It's wonderful. That's, that's a long a lot of time there. That's, that's, that's two hours of driving there, two hours of driving back, and a lot of time being poked and prodded by a tailor in Verulam to get a suit fitted. Now, here's the thing. I think when she was, had this dream and this picture in her mind of what her matric dance would look like, she had herself there in this beautiful dress next to a guy who was a Zac Efron slash Ryan Gosling lookalike in her head. So when she started at a young tender age to pencil out what this guy would be wearing that would complement her skin tone, she chose off-white pants, an off-white shirt, and a brown chocolate jacket. The problem is, in, she, was, she in her mind had tall, dark, and handsome, but she, she had to settle for skinny, pale, and pimply. And uh, I remember the, 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 the fear started to rise and rise as I started to try this outfit on. But I thought, you know, no matter, I'll, I'll just put it off. Just, you know, come with confidence. And maybe this thing will come together. But the problem was, on the day of the dance, weeks had passed. And the moment anticipation had grown and grown and grown. Her mom came and dropped off in, in the suit cover, the suit that the very limb tailored put together. And I unzipped it. And I realized there was a problem. The first problem, though we had gone three times for measurements, the pants were still just a little bit too short above the ankle. This was before the hipster days where those were cool. And I was like, no worries, just put some black socks on. Hide those little ankles. The waist was a little bit loose. No problem. Just put another notch in the belt. Let's tighten it up a little bit. Times were tough here. And, uh, tighten it up a little bit. But that wasn't the biggest problem. The problem for me was the off-white had become see-through white. Like cricket pants. Not a word of a lie. And I remember as a young, insecure 17-year-old who was nervous at the best of times, starting to freak out as I started to realize that you could see everything. You could see every one of my six-pack muscles, I tell you. You could see it all. Some people just say six ribs, but anyway. But I remember putting this on and, and I was freaking out. I was, throw, I, was, I was throwing a tantrum. I can't wear this. I can't wear this. My brother was having a field day filming this all, saying this is beautiful. And... Uh, this, I want to just give you context finally that I was at the height of my insecure stage. I was dyeing this red hair black at that stage just so I could, I didn't want to stick out, which in retrospect <laughs> didn't work out for me. But um, it was always a sort of moment because of my pale complexion, this dark black hair, people would often say, is he sick? <laughs> if they could see me. But anyway. But I remember starting to get so stressed. I thought, I can't wear this outfit. So I remember... I said, that's enough. I said, I'm not going to wear this. I'm not going to wear this stuff. After all this, this girl been planning and dreaming. So I pulled on just black, black pants. I put on a, a, another t a black t-shirt under the white shirt and the brown chocolate jacket. This was looking good now, you know. 
And I remember sulking with my black dyed hair all the way there. And when she saw me, just she, her just whole face dropped. This was just, I'd ruined the, the night already. I want to tell you, every single photo of the night has me sulking, not looking happy. She is sulking, but everyone else is smiling and looking at me. This was one of the height of embarrassment. I've had many of these moments, but I remember this moment was when all, all I wanted to do in my teenage years was just get through it, blend in, just keep your head down. No one noticed me. I was forced front and center of the, state of the, of the picture because I was looking terrible looking very pale, looking very embarrassed and not happy at all. I was embarrassed. I was exposed. I was vulnerable. And I want to tell you this morning, I tell that stupid story, number one, because it haunts me most, most times when we get to this season, matric dance season. I start to go, oh, when people get nervous, I say, it can't go as bad as my times in matric dances. But I want to say, secondly, this morning, very simply, I want to give us some handles because I believe that not just only in those, those moments of big mirth where we laugh and point fun, look back and, and chuckle at, at our teenage stupidity, but I believe in life, we have moments after moments where we feel exposed, where we feel embarrassed, where we feel weak, when we feel vulnerable, and everything inside of us wants to just put our head down and blend in. When everything inside of us just wants to back away and hide away, I want to tell you this morning, from these six verses of Scripture, I want to just, just help us a little bit and say, what do we do when we feel exposed, vulnerable, weak, when life gets big on us? When, you, when, when work starts to fall apart, when family life starts to fall apart, when everything inside starts to fall apart around you, how are we supposed to respond as Christ followers? This morning, I want to help us from this passage of Scripture. Is that okay? Let's, let's get into it. So this morning... Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. It's good to see you, everyone. I want to help us. It's going to be really brief. We've got some characters. I want to just help set the scene of this passage of Scripture, this six verses. There's three groups of big characters. Number one, there's this man named Jesus. And this Jesus figure is a polarizing figure in Scripture. He's a man that has recently entered society's lens, and he's performing miracles on the left. He's saying some pretty inflammatory stuff on the right. And he's sticking his proverbial finger up all the noses of the religious elite. And they are getting more and more frustrated that everyone, he's, he's just, if you're either with him or against him, there's not many neutrals around Jesus. Jesus is frustrating everyone on, on, on this side of conservative nature. And, and, and Jesus is actually just causing a stir. So you've got this man, Jesus, there. Then you have the second group, the Pharisees. And the Herodians, this group of people, the Pharisees, I want to tell you who they were. They're your right-wing conservatives. They're your, your right-wing, in, in our modern day, if they're in America, they'll be the, the right-wing Republicans who have who've got the final authority on everything moralistic and ethical. They're the ones who say, this is what is right and we need to stand for it. And they're holding up big banners. Uh, the people who are marching and, and, and saying, say no to Proposition 54 and all these things. They're the, your right-wing conservatives say this, we've got to hold the line in society. The Herodians are your liberal political fig figures. They're your left-wingers who preach tolerance just as long as your tolerance matches with my tolerance and we are very intolerant of people who are not tolerant of our tolerance. That's how usually it works. But you've got these two types of people and these two types of people are there, the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they're also seething, angry, watching Jesus and trying to catch him out at any moment. And then finally, you have this final character in the Scripture, a man whose title is man with withered hand or man with deformed hand. That's his title. That's his name he gets here. It's a man who gets his story, his six verses of fame, in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of them write about this man's story, but not one of them find out what his name is. 
Many people in Scripture are named, but this guy is just given the title, uh, what was his name again? Man with withered hand. A man who's become known not by who he is, but by his deformity, by his weakness, by his vulnerability. Man with withered hand. If you want to know who he was, is the sort of guy in the play, you know that when you go and you audition for a play and you get that role, tree enters stage left. And you've got no line, so you just wave to your mom and dad. He's that guy. No one really notices him unless he's, he's this guy that's a bit of a nuisance. Just get around, just try and get around a man with withered hands. So we've got these three types of people. And Jesus enters this story and starts to tell us three things, I believe, this morning that will empower our faith when times get tough, when we feel weak, when we feel exposed and vulnerable. Three things I'd love to put in your, your diet and your vocab this morning. Number one, the point will appear behind me, is that Jesus is not ashamed of our weakness. Jesus is not ashamed of our weakness. I want to tell you, here's this man, man with withered hand, a man who had made his life all about hiding. A man who had this physical defect, a man who, who actually depended, who, who actually this impeded his work. He wasn't, this, this thing the story tells us in the other context is that this is the man who didn't have a, a withered hand because he had an accident later in life and this is a new situation. This has been his life since birth. He's never known a day when his hand is, is normal and he's got two hands that operate freely. This is a man who's learned to work around his withered hand, who knows how to hide it in social moments, who knows how to go with his left, his strong left hand, who, who knows how to work around his weakness. This is a man who's been able to do this and he's become good at this. His socializing, his self-confidence has all been determined by his weakness. He's a guy who didn't want to be exposed or pointed out. If he had a theme song, I believe it'll be R.E.M.'s, That's Me in the Corner. You know, the, the, the guy just who's just off, off, off the side. You guys go ahead. Never wants to cause a stir, so much so that nobody knows his name. I want to tell you, he's not the guy I've, I've been growing up with. A guy say, hey, you know Gabe? Uh, Gabe. Uh, the guy with the red hair. Or, or you know that guy? You know that guy, Gabe? The guy with the big nose. Ah, uh, yeah. Or, you know, no, this is the guy. People, you know that guy? Ah, what's his name again? The guy with the withered hand. That's how he's introduced. That's how he's remembered. That's how he's known. He is known by his defect, his deformity. Man with withered hand. And I love how the scripture starts. It starts with, it says, Jesus noticed man with withered hand. And I want to tell you that word noticed is not with negative, not loaded with negative connotation, not like, oh, what happened to your hand? Ugh, that's weird. You must be on that show, Body Bizarre. No, no, no. Sorry, I'm just exposing myself here in the shows I watch. But I want to say, it's not noticed like, oh, and shying away. It's noticed meaning engaged with. Gave validity to, saw past the defect and saw the human being. Jesus noticed the man. I love this fact that for you and I, though, is that Jesus in this moment doesn't move away from his weakness and it, or his sin, or his defects. I want to tell you, you and I this morning, confidence that I can tell you that Jesus never moves away from your weakness, or from your sin, or from your defect, or your defaults, or your deficiencies. And here's a great truth this morning. Jesus doesn't leave the room when you mess up. Jesus doesn't leave the room. Oh, my word. Oh, okay. Sort yourself out. I'll come back when you sort yourself up. I think we've grown up on a diet in, in our culture of timeouts. You've messed up. I need separation from you. I can't handle and we take the way that we do relationships. I just need space. People moving away whenever there's been a big argument, just give, I need some space. 
And we live in a culture of separation and relationships, and we've transposed that onto God and on Jesus, and we think when we mess up, He's left the room. I can't handle your mess right now. Give me some space. I want to tell you this moment that Jesus doesn't do timeouts. He doesn't do silent treatment. He doesn't do sort yourself out. I want to give you good theologies this morning because we forget too quickly that Jesus is not repulsed by my weakness. Jesus is not repulsed by your weakness. How do I know this? Because Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. And I'm one of them. I want to tell you the story that uh, I I went to Namibia a few years ago and um, I was at a family gathering. And there was a, with the whole family there, there was a dad with some two, he's got two kids, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. And we're all having a bribe, everyone chatting, having the plates on their laps. And, um, and then we heard from the TV lounge, the two kids, the, the brother and sister, 8 and 10-year-old, were, were chatting away, watching TV. And as kids go, then you suddenly heard a, a yelp. Somebody had pinched somebody, somebody had hit someone. I don't know what, what had gone on there. But as brothers and sisters do, something had happened and they started, we're at each other, screaming, shouting, hey, leave me alone. And then the dad, just every, you know, everyone's attention, a little bit awkward, that embarrassing moment so when parents are a bit embarrassed. What's the dad going to do? And the dad goes, hey, boy. And the boy comes, the boy comes running through. And everyone's like awkward, you know, eating now. Like, and I'm like, oh, here we go. This is going to get embarrassing. He's going to like give the boy a hiding. He's going to like, you know, send him out. Go sit in the car. No lunch for you. No, you're like, just like, oh, how's the dad going to handle this moment? Now, I'm interested. But I saw something profound happen as the dad came and said, boy, and the boy comes, no, what, dad? It's not my, he, she said, no, he, no, 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 stop. I don't want to hear your arguments. I don't want to hear your, your bluster. No, but dad, no, 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 shh. The boy got quiet, but still not happy there. A bit sulky and, oh, this is not fair, dad. And says, no, boy, come, come here. And the boy then, very unhappy and all, stomping his feet, climbs onto his dad's lap. His dad's sitting there, his dad not stressed, his dad not worried, not freaking out in this moment. And the dad puts one hand on the boy's head, firm, strong hand, one on his back. And you saw the boy was breathing heavy and muttering to himself. And then the dad continued to just chat. Everyone was chatting, the conversation came up again. Everyone's talking to each other. And as I was watching, I was like, this is bizarre. What's going on? And the boy's breathing started slow. And I saw the dad, as the dad held the boy strong, said, boy, I love you. Boy, I'm proud of you. You know, you know that you're my boy, eh? The boy stopped starting slow. And calmer and calmer. As the boy calmed down, the dad said, I heard him whisper to his boy, are you ready to go apologize to your sister? The boy said, yes, dad. He climbed off his lap and went and apologized to his sister. When I saw that, I said, that's how the heavenly father disciplines you and I. Because you see, scripture tells us that he disciplines those he loves. It's true. Discipline's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because it shows that you are his child because he disciplines you. But he doesn't discipline you by sending you away. He disciplines you by saying, come closer. Draw near to me. He moves towards weakness. He is drawn towards brokenness. He is drawn towards sinfulness because he's not scared of it. He's not ashamed of it. So much so, he became it on the cross. If Jesus was scared of our sin, he would never have come as a human being. He would never have gone to the cross because Scripture says he doesn't just carry it. Ooh, I'll just carry it for a little while. Scripture says he became our sin. He's not nervous. He's not anxious. He's not sitting in heaven going, oh, no. <sighs> I wonder what they're going to do next. What sin are they going to think of next? He knows it all. I want to tell you, Jesus is not ashamed of our weakness. I love this. I love this fact because, you know, for me, I I remember feeling exposed years ago. I've shared these stories many times as a teenager, struggling with pornography addiction and trying to hide that thing. I hated Sundays. I hated Sundays because Sundays I felt so exposed. I don't know if you've ever, you walked in church and you're like, everyone knows. 
And, you know, that really Christian spiritual guy comes in and says hi. And you're like, he knows. He knows. And I was going, I'm sure I deleted my history last night. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my word. And, and I hate this Sunday because I felt naked. I felt exposed. I felt vulnerable in a place that is supposed to be leading me to Jesus. And yet I was retreating into myself, putting on a fake uh, a facade. And I, was, I, lo- I hated worship the first song because I felt really bad. I can't sing this. The second song, my hands got up to here. Third song, I was like, Okay, he's forgiving me finally. Fourth time, I'm like, geez, this week, I won't sin. That was my repetitive world, hiding my weakness and moving around my weakness because I wasn't convinced that Jesus was still with me. I want to tell you, Jesus notices you and your weakness, and he moves towards you, not away from you. Great truth, number one, this morning. I want to tell you and underline this by saying this, that he has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Any foolish things here? Great good news for you. If you say I'm foolish, he says I've chosen you. He's chosen you to shame the wise. I want to tell you, he does not meet us, God does not meet us up like Zeus-like fashion at the top, saying, come up here, anyone who is strong and able. No, no, scripture tells us is that he came down to us. He left heaven's throne to come to us so that he could lead us to the Father. I want to tell you, we've got to smash this thing again and again because everything inside of us pushes us away from this notion. I want to tell you, he's not God. He doesn't have a measuring stick saying, do you measure up? He's not like a tailor coming and saying, oh, what size? how are you? Are you growing up? Are you maturing? No, he is a father. And I want to tell you, in this moment, he moves towards weakness. Second point this morning that will put confidence in our heart. Number one, Jesus is not ashamed of our weakness. Number two is that Jesus hates religion. Now, uh, I wrestled to say the word hate in a church, but I feel Jesus uses similar language in this, result, in this resolve. And now, when I say religion, please hear me. I'm not saying as a disclaimer, I want to let you know, I'm not saying religion, meaning are you a Christian or Muslim or Islam. No, no, I'm meaning what religion is. Religious is religion is making a living out of exposing people's sin and weakness, but having no power or desire to help them get better. Religion says, you fall short. You fall short. You fall short, and you spin on Oprah's, you know, we, you're all getting something under your seat, you know? You fall short. You, you all fall short. You know, that's what religion does. Religion says, you're in, you're out, this is what the line is, and they say, you're out, sorry, bad luck, and doesn't have any power to help you get better. I want to tell you, Jesus was so angry with these religious elites. Why? Because he says, you're misrepresenting my father. You're standing there pretending you're representing God, but he says, you have no clue what my father's like. He says, you put heavy loads on people but you, that you can't even bear, but you've got no ability or no nature to even help them. You're putting heaviness on people, but you say, I can't help you. I want to tell you, I love this Mark 3 scripture. It says that Jesus was angry. He was disheartened. He was deeply saddened. He was grieved at their hardness of hearts. This is now, let me tell you when, you, when I start preaching, I'm not preaching about Jesus, meek and mild, who's, who's like this blonde uh, Swedish guy smiling at you, saying, come all. No, this is Jesus. He is, he, is, he, is, he is gentle to the weak. But those who cling to their own religious nature, thinking that makes me superior, he is very, very harsh. He's very strong because he says, I will not stand for anything that will come and try and take my place as a savior. I, the scripture is so strong for me. And I, I want to tell you, the Pharise- this, uh, this Jesus got, got them so worked up. Pharisees and Herodians, ca- I love the last verse. Verse 6 says, the Pharisees and Herodians came together and started to say, how are we going to kill this Jesus? Now, let me tell you how shocking that is. That line for us is like, okay, let's move on to the next one. That's a shocking line. 
Because it's like saying the Republicans and Democrats, there's an issue that's so unifying. Trump says, Hillary, come for tea, let's, let's join forces. Not going to happen. It's like the ANC and the DA saying, let's join a, make a coalition government here. Okay, maybe you guys aren't getting it. It's like Liverpool and Man United fans saying, let's hang out. I know. This is so shocking that Jesus is such a polarizing figure. Far right and far left are so infuriated with this man. Why? Because everything Jesus said would go right up against their prejudice, what they think was right. You know, Jesus would get up and say, all who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. The right-wing Republicans saying, how dare you make it so easy for people to come to God? How dare you make it so inclusive that whomever, ah, oh, and they'll get so angry with that. But then Jesus will say, I am the only way to the Father. No man comes to the Father except through me. The way is narrow. And all the liberals go, how dare you make it so exclusive? Come on, preach tolerance, Jesus. He just came, can I tell you something? Jesus will not bow to your prejudice or your, your way of doing life or thinking this is what I, I deserve. Jesus will not bow to that because he says, I'm here to show you the way to the Father, not the way to your prejudice or the way you think things should be. I want to tell you in this thing, we are all susceptible to religious responses. Can I tell you what religion actually looks like? Religion looks like hiding. And, and being ashamed and not bringing things into the light and hiding our weaknesses and putting up false facades because we're saying, I can do this. I can work around my weakness. I can just get stronger with my left hand. When actually Jesus says, no, 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 come to me, I am the one who saves. We all are susceptible to this, but we've got to know that Jesus hates religious responses. Third and finally this morning, I want to land with this uh, great implication point for you and I. Jesus is not ashamed of our weakness. Jesus hates religion. Number three, what you stretch, he will bless. I love this. I love how Jesus has this discourse and he, he, he has this big theological moment. It's just this moment. The man with withered hand is just awkwardly standing there. And Jesus is having this big theological argument with the, 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 the Pharisees and Herodians. And they are getting seething mad. And this, the crowd are getting angry and, wor- and worked up by Jesus. And man with withered hand is going, can I, can I go yet? Can I leave? And Jesus says, hey, you, come, man with his hand, come stand in front of everybody. What? That's me in the corner. That's, that's, you know, it's like, but no, no, I'm the guy who's supposed to be on stage left. I don't want to be in the center of this thing. Jesus said, no, no, you come in the middle here. And then Jesus says to this man who's had a withered hand, a shriveled hand since birth, who's kept that thing hidden, who's worked around it, his sport life, his, his everything. He can't join you for touchies on the weekends. No, he can't. He's only got one hand to operate. He can't, his, his career has been defined by, will it, will it need two hands to operate? Sorry, I can't do it. His whole life, his future, everything's been defined by this. This moment comes where Jesus says to this guy, he says, hey, you stand here, stretch out your hand. And I can imagine the guy with the shriveled hand in the one back pocket gets his left hand and goes, hi, nice to meet you. Jesus goes, no, no, not that one, boy. The one that's hidden. Stretch out your hand? This, this, this command that Jesus speaks to this man. And the scripture, I love what the scripture says. The scripture, before I get there, I want to tell you, he says, not your strong hand, the one he had gotten used to, the left hand. Yeah, yeah, let me go with that one, the one that I work around my weakness. I want to say this, Jesus cannot bless who you're pretending to be. 
Jesus cannot bless who you're pretending to be. This is what called gospel vulnerability is. When we believe who Jesus is, it frees us to be vulnerable. Because I'm not the defender of my reputation. I'm not the defender of, of who I am. I don't have to do uh, spin doctoring about, hey, you know what, I've messed up, but let me tell you the circumstances. No, 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 I don't have to spin doctor my way through this because I don't trust your opinion, I trust his. And I don't trust because your opinion cannot save me, you, but his can. His one redeems. His one restores. But here's the thing. This Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And the Bible tells us this amazing verse. It says, so the man with courage, he stretches out his hand. It says, as he, when he stretched out his hand, his withered hand, it says, as he was stretching, it was restored. <laughs> Blew my mind. Jesus didn't pray for him. Jesus didn't say, let's get the anointing oil out. Call the prayer team. Have you fasted, boy? I want seven days of preparation before this moment. Now, I'm not belittling any of these things, but uh, you've got to understand what Jesus does in this moment. He doesn't put any other expectation. He says, will you respond in faith to my word? He says, stretch out your hand. And a man who's had his authority, his future, his whole reputation has been diminished. Jesus, in a moment, gives this man authority back and says, will, will you step into it? And I love this moment. As he was stretching his hand, his hand was restored. You see, there's two, the two greatest forces in the universe. From God's end is his word. His, the word of God is the greatest force in the universe because his word never returns void. It's always creating. It always accomplishes what it was sent out to do. The word of God endures forever. The word of God is strong. The greatest force of the universe on our end is our faith. And it doesn't even have to be big faith. It can be as small as a mustard seed. But when the Word of God and our faith combine and collide, watch what God does. God can do impossible things when we ignite and respond in those moments. I want to say in this thing, the, the great news for you and I is that His hand was restored in the stretching. It was not a passive moment. It was in His stretching. What we stretch, He'll bless. Here's the amazing thing. In this, this, this uh, passage of Scripture, that Luke talks about, the, the, the second, the third book of the, the New Testament. Luke writes a similar narrative about man with withered hand. And he's a doctor, so Luke picks up on details. And Luke tells us that it wasn't just any old hand. He says it was the man's right hand. Now I want to tell you why that's huge. Because in the Jewish culture, men bestowed blessing with their right hand. Men bestowed future for their sons with their right hand. Still to this day, by misfits, fathers will put their right hand on their son's head and pray a prayer of blessing. So much so that a great tribe that Jesus came from, the tribe of Benjamin, means son of my right hand, son of my strength. So much so that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father because he's been given all authority in heaven and earth. The right hand symbolizes so much, but what, what, what was supposed to be something that he could bestow a future on his sons has become shriveled and he's hidden away and he's, he's lost his identity, he's lost who he was in society, he's lost any ability to make a future for his children and he's just worked, I'll just keep it here, I'll keep it here. But this is what the amazing thing our father does. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't come and shy away from his weakness. He engages with his weakness. He says, I'm not about your religious response, I'm about faith and faith alone. And in that moment he says, actually I'm not going to just restore your physical defects, I'm going to restore to you a future that you thought was impossible. I want to tell you, Jesus right here turns his weakness, in, not just into a strength, but he turns it into an inheritance. 
future restored. This morning I've come with a simple, simple gospel implication to press deep into our hearts. Is that, sir, ma'am, your future, my future is not determined by my weaknesses. Let me say it again. Your future is not determined by your weakness. Your future is not determined by your health. Your future is not determined by your poor financial situation right now. Your future is not determined by the thing that the enemy has stolen. It's not even determined by your addiction if you bring it to Jesus. Can I tell you again, your future is also not determined by your human effort. I don't want you to get up this morning. I'm going to try harder. This, t- this week, I'm going to do better. This week, I'm going to stand in faith more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying faith looks like we can't run to Jesus. Your future is not determined by your weakness. Your future is not determined by your human efforts. I wanted to, my thesis this morning is that I believe your future, my future, is determined by our stretch. And who are we stretching towards? Are we stretching I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to reach out to this relationship or that one. I'm going to reach out deep into some, go into overdraft. I'm going to reach out into, or you're going to reach out and stretch towards him. What you stretch, he will bless. I want to land with this and ask you these questions this morning. What is withered and hidden in your life? What have you been working around for, for a long time? Maybe it's been something that nobody's ever known. Maybe to this morning you say, my marriage, Gabe, is withered. And actually, you know what? For us, it'll be better just to move apart. Keep the peace. Maybe you're saying, Gabe, my finances are so withered this morning. You don't even know. It's the first of October, the first of the month, and I can't even see the way to the end of this month. I don't know what to do. Maybe you're saying my relationships are withered. Maybe you're saying my spiritual walk with Jesus is withered. I've messed up so many times. I want to tell you this morning, what you stretch, He will bless. I'm learning that if I look to my finances for my future, or do I look to my ability to stretch and trust Him with my finances? Do I look to my relationship health for my future, or do I say, actually, I'm going to take that and stretch it towards Jesus? I want to ask you, it's a simple implication to a profound text this morning, but I want to ask you this morning, have you been abused? Have you been addicted for a long time? Is your marriage broken? Is the anxiety running ravage in your heart? What is withered in your heart? What will you do with that withered hand? Will you hide it and walk out here and say everything's great? But I want to say to you there, he can't bless who you're pretending to be. But I say, please, will you stretch out to Jesus? One final story to land. A few, uh, a few months ago, Fiona and I met with a girl, 31-year-old, in this community who sat with us and said she told us her story, an amazing, beautiful girl, and with just incredible uh, job offers and prospects and just seems all together. And as we just asked and asked and asked, she said, actually, we said, hey, thanks for the great meeting. She said, I just need to tell you guys one more thing. I was like, oh, cool. You know, about to leave. And we sit down again. She goes, and her head dropped. The confidence just went. You could see this moment she had to tell us the thing. She said, actually, I got married three years ago, 28. She said, at 28, I thought this was the man of my dreams. But the last three years have been hell. And actually, we got divorced I'm 31, I've only been, I was married for two and a bit years, and I'm divorced. And she says, no one's ever been divorced in my family. And she said, I, I feel very ashamed about this. I said, is there, wh- is there a future for me here? And I remember, thank, I thank God that I'd been reading this passage of Scripture. I was able to walk over through, and let me tell you, Jesus is not ashamed of your weakness. Jesus hates religious response that says, you know what, I'm divorced, I know it's sin, so I'm going to put everything right now. I'm not saying we light on sin. Gee, I want to say sin is a big deal. But Jesus is a bigger deal. 
He trumps every sin. There's no sin. There's no too far for him. There's no too hard for him. He says, watch what I can do. And you say, you don't know what I did last summer. He says, you, know what I, you don't know what I did 2,000 years ago. Forgave all your sins, past, present, and future. I said to her, it's not a shame of your weakness. He hates religious response, but what you stretch, he will bless. Will you trust him in the season with this thing? And I said, watch what God will do. I want to tell you, God can bring hope into any situation when we trust him. Can we pray? Can we stand to our feet this morning? If you are needing to respond to Jesus in this moment, I'm going to ask you to do something practical. Can you stretch your arms up to heaven? Stretch them up as high as you can, not as, a, not as an attempt to get his attention because he says he, he already, he, uh, you've got heaven's attention. He's just saying, will you give me my, yours? He says, my eyes have never left you. I've never left you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you even till the very end. He is for you, not against you. But will repentance is saying, you have my attention, Jesus. I thank you in this moment, God, whether these hands represent emotions that have been withered and shriveled, whether this represents finances, whether this represents fear of the future, whether this represents fear for will I ever find a relationship, will I ever be restored, Will, will I ever be healed, whatever that fear is that's withered them and kept them in the corner and not pressing forward into the future you have for them. I pray right now, Jesus, you see these hands, but more importantly, you see their hearts and you say, I'm not ashamed of your weakness and you move into their corner. You move into their, their, their ring. You step into the ring and say, let me fight this battle for you. And I thank you, Father God, that we don't fight this battle with loud voices or beating our chests or religious rah-rah. We be, win this battle by trusting your blood. Your blood speaks a better word. When three men write this story and say, man with withered hand, no one can remember the name. I thank you, Jesus. Your eyes are on him and you say, I'll restore what the enemy has stolen. I thank you, Father God, for this amazing community this morning, that you would put this deep in their hearts, that when they're feeling weak, embarrassed, vulnerable, at their lowest, they'll know that Jesus is not ashamed of my weakness. I'll refuse to respond religiously, but ultimately, what I stretch, he will bless. I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen.